Welcome again to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast that features expert advice and insights in the professional services industry. My name is Brent Trimble. I'm one of the co-hosts, and my guest today is Devin de Blasios, and he is the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Newstar. Devin's also the co-host of the No Hype Podcast and the You're on the Mute Podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Thanks, Brent. Great to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Thank you. So at MavenLink, the vast majority of our product and customer base is in professional services, fee-to-service consulting, certainly internal professional uh, services that that service large platforms and software. And I think they'll have a really great interest in, in Newstar and some of your role. And within our sort of customer base, there's also around 30 to 40%, maybe more that are in marketing services and consulting spaces that deal with the concepts of uh, certainly privacy, marketing automation, precision targeting, building audiences and insights. And what's interesting is that for those who are more on the um, support side, they're deploying some platforms like this. For some that are on the marketing services side, they're they're using these kind of as customers then deploying it on, on, on the part of their clients. And what I think is interesting too is even in the the sales orgs, their users of these types of platforms and certainly understand at least nominally kind of that landscape and the architecture. Talk a little bit about, first of all, your role at Newstar and love to hear about that. Yeah, of course. So I lead the charge for product marketing uh, at Newstar Marketing uh, Solutions. And so Newstar is currently you know, a multifaceted uh, information systems and uh, identity solution organization. And so we have risk and fraud and we have communications organizations. So I think like Caller ID or verifying that you are who you are when you make a, tra- a credit card transaction. Uh, but I focus on the marketing end. And so it's really mm-hmm. harnessing the power of data for our clients to best, you know, create the best picture of an individual consumer or household level consumer, uh, as well as, you know, providing the best opportunity to engage with existing customers, uh, and then help them, you know, improve their data with various data connections across the ecosystem, execute really high level relevant communications across every channel, offline, online, and then measure the performance. How are you performing at the audience placement platform, uh, you know, level? Uh, and then helping them optimize that. And we also provide uh, data science services and support to actually give our clients greater access, control, and visibility across their data assets um, to help them manage things like you know privacy, security, uh, as well as just the fidelity of their overall um, ex- uh, data set itself. No, it's great, and and I think. You know, for our listeners, both on the you know the marketing services side as well as those who are really customers of the platform, even at Mavenlink, of course, we use in our in our marketing services, we use lots of data to target those you know potential, those prospects, mm-hmm. those business roles who are really interested in and we think or would be interested in our technology. Even if you're just a consumer, you have sort of nominal exposure to the effects of really precise targeting, shopping for your spouse or your, your loved one, or your children, and then maybe um, an advertisement getting retargeted to you and so mm-hmm. forth. That's, that's how most folks are, are really, you know, exposed to that. And I think, I think, you know, have, have some knowledge of that. Talk to us a little bit, maybe about that portfolio within Newstar, maybe the difference between um, 
data and precision targeting and then conversely um, privacy yeah because those are those are pretty pretty interesting topics and I think you know get a lot of exposure in the press as well as um, um, certainly the the last election cycles for instance yeah we, we think of privacy is really two different ways right so you have an existing customer you have a consented engagement with that with that person maybe they're a loyalist someone who's coming to your website who's your mobile app or even in store and they're giving a piece of themselves because they there's a a give and take. There's a transaction that's happening for goods uh, or for services, and you're giving a piece of yourself. And then you continually engage with that with that brand, whether it's a bank, whether it's a home improvement store, uh, whether it's a healthcare provider. And you have varying uh, ways in which you engage with them, also varying expectations in terms of the amount of information you're providing and the level of service you're receiving. And so for existing customers, I think it's a pretty, or it should be a pretty transparent and pretty obvious um, relationship. Uh, exchange of uh, you know mutually beneficial services uh, for a piece of that information to remain relevant, right? I want my bank to know who I am. I'm going to give them more information. Right. But there's also a heightened sense of security for those organizations to protect that data. Um, how is that data being used outside of the walls of that institution? How is the data being used, you know, in context with other uh, data assets that they may be working with across the supply chain or across different uh, partnerships, right? And so transparency is becoming even ever more important. Uh, for even existing customers in the relationship with brands. And then you have the consumers, right? Not like net new people who have never engaged with that brand, you know, that they know of, right? A, a net new person, right. uh, someone who's, you know, not yet a loyalist, not yet purchased anything. And how do you essentially find out who that person is, relevant triggers, relevant information that they're um, letting off about themselves based on their browsing habits, their, their mobile app engagement, uh, even things they're doing with, with other relevant or competitive stores. And that's where it gets a little bit trickier in terms of knowing what you can use, how you stitch that together, how you follow that individual or household across their customer journey, and how you relevantly provide them experiences that are, um, you know, important to them. Maybe uh, they're they're giving off signals about themselves that say that I do want to buy this car or um, this hammer at any given point. But also, right. it can be creepy, right? And I think the creepy factor of the exactly. internet yeah. is what I think a lot of people clamor onto. But there's also a lot happening with some larger players in market, like the Apples and Facebooks and even the government, uh, who over the past 18 months, two years, have really made privacy top and center for the average news consumer, right? Any news you turn to, whether it's NPR, Fox, CNN, doesn't matter. They're talking about consumer privacy, talking about Facebook and Google being, you know, under the thumb of the government being in, in, you know, uh, in court on Capitol Hill. And so there's a lot of attention being put on to privacy without any sort of, correlation to that average consumer to like, what is actually happening with my data? I just know this is potentially bad, but I still have a good relationship with my brands. And so there's a lot of give and take. There's a lot of confusion. um, And it's all really about how and when, and also what types of identifiers are used to, to engage with a consumer or existing customer. And and all of that is really kind of up for grabs in terms of um, where that will fall uh, in terms of the privacy and security point of view. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because you talked about expectations and, you know, anecdotally and, and of course being in the, being the business now for, for many years and seeing kind of the evolution of, of web experiences, mm-hmm. the expectation is a consumer goes to a platform of choice. Uh, maybe it's an e-commerce, maybe they're a loyalist at uh, at a yep. retailer or to your point, their bank, there's an expectation. There's, there's data that, that, brand or platform remember about me that I've captured at some point and it makes the experience better, right? You're not having to re-engage and, 
and log back in and kind of go through these these steps. Um, conversely, I think we've all been inundated in the past couple of years with the the notion of um, uh, the cookie and acceptance and what yeah. does that mean? And certainly in, in Europe kind of led the charge there. Now we see that um, come through. So, you know, how do you sort of bifurcate that, that notion of experience benefit to, you know, privacy concerns? Cause it sounds like that's, that's really kind of a focus of, of um, and and, a, and an ability of the platform maybe that's not always as elegantly articulated. It's not, and that's the thing. So it really is up to the advertisers to take that first step. Like uh, our new star is an intermediary, right? We're someone who supports an advertiser, right. supports a publisher. Uh, we're really the connective glue that stitches that 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 experience together between you know the data coming in at the customer level and the experience you receive on various platform or wherever wherever you're going to see an advertisement, right? Um, and really is the onus is upon the advertisers always has been right. The security of data. We've seen data breaches happen across the United States and the world forever, right? As long as there's been data exchanging hands, there's been data leaking. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of consumers have become numb, I think, to the idea of data leakage, you know, even the, the largest institutions and, uh, you know, and others have had data leakage, right? And so I think everyone expects a certain person percentage of their data is out there. Um, and how that really translates to identity fraud, which I think a lot of people are really concerned about at the end of the day, um, is, you know, few and far between uh, compared to a bad ad experience, which I think we all probably get at least once a day. Right. Um, right. So it is really up to advertisers to just take hold and take take them take the wheel uh, from, you know, their their technology providers who are really guiding the ship for, for many, many years. The invention of the cookie was, you know, very, very long time ago. Right. Um, you know, early the early aughts of 2000 uh, when the cookie was started to be used and then right. no one knew what a cookie was. My mom doesn't know what a cookie was until now. I mean, I'm talking about exactly. it in the know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the average consumer has no idea what that is other than the fact that their, their computer slowing down. They can clear their cookies, clear their cache and maybe it works. Right. But then all your passwords are gone and all these other things are gone, which aren't necessarily related to cookies. But there's just a, a new um, education that has been brought upon the average consumer. And now brands need to be aware of how to treat that, how to handle that. Um, cookies are still here, right? They're not going away, at least for the next couple of years. They are. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of other con- concerns that advertisers should be focused on because this really opened the floodgate. You should be more focused on driving better experiences with your brand, with your customers. And you're going to have a better overall um, result, right? If you're, if you're generating, you know, that transparency, that level of attention to how you collect information and how you handle that information, because it is extremely valuable to that brand. It's the lifeblood of any organization who collects data, any BDC organization, like you should respect that. And I think that the more they do, the more they show they're respecting it, the more they're going to be able to generate more data about an individual, right? Apple's done a great job at leaning into privacy as their main differentiator in the space, you know, um, whether or not that that translates to actual value to a customer at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. I think people see that as a as a as a value add, and they're going to lean into that brand. You know, we've seen consumers change brands and change their perceptions of brands due to just how that brand is treated in the mar- in market or in the press. Um, and now publishers are on that on the hook for that as well, because publishers without cookies are extremely important. Um, they're the ones who are collecting the information at the point of sale or at the point of of content consumption. And they now have to increase their barrier to collect this information because they all rely on cookies. Um, right. so everyone on both ends of the spectrum are now just on the hook to be more transparent, more realistic, and also more thoughtful when handling customer and consumer data. And everyone in between, you know, everyone who works for those publishers or brands 
has to follow suit in, in accordance of the data, data governance you know, rules and expectations that those companies put upon their partners like a new star. You know, with, with things like matching and the models of probabilistic versus deterministic and in allowing advertisers to, to target consumers and the massive proliferation of both technology, methodology, yep. the marketing attribution, um, partial attribution, full, um, full attribution and so forth. There, there has been this real shift in the business in the past couple of years. And you, uh, you touched on that, of course, with Apple and then um, Google saying eventually it would sunset the cookie. They've mm-hmm. kind of postponed that decision. But from the vantage point of a data type platform, talk to us a little bit about that shift and what that means for the listeners and the uh, the folks in the industry who mm-hmm. um, may be deep into this, um, as well as those who are more on the periphery. Yeah, and so Newstar has always taken a hybrid approach to to what we call identity resolution or entity resolution, the ability to take information and essentially stitch it together to 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 validate and verify either an individual person or the household, right? And a household is we think is more valuable in the overarching kind of concept of of advertising. You want to hit the household, the household. You don't really necessarily have to know the individual. You don't have to never. You don't really have to know the individual ever, right? From a, from a consumer advertising perspective, right? I think one to one advertising is a misnomer. I think you're doing a one to few or one to many, right? But we take a hybrid approach, which means that we do both deterministic and probabilistic in the same process, right? And so we feel balancing both of those is really important to actually generate both scale and accuracy. Um, A lot of people recently have focused on deterministic, deterministic, deterministic. But how many times are you giving your email address or the wrong email address to any sort of advertiser or or content producer all the time, right? Information shared, information is, is wrong, information's out of date. You know, the average consumer, you know, how many times do you change your, your address over your, the, the, count, you know, the course of your life? Or how many email addresses do you actually have? I don't have that many. Uh, a colleague of mine on my other, on my other podcast, You're on Mute, he, has, he creates a new email address for every single brand that he engages with because he has his own domain, right? Wow. He, and he's, you know, a unique individual, yeah. uh, tinfoil hat, hat wearing uh, person who's in the know. But that's yeah. the thing. It's like, and that's all deterministic signal. That's me as an as a person giving you information about myself. I'm going to lie, right? I'm going to lie because I don't care, or because it's not really important for you to have that, or because I I am protecting myself. And so you have to balance that with probabilistic, which really looks at time. It looks at you know the 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 evolution of those identifiers that have been identified at a particular point in time over a certain amount of time in a particular area, right? And so. It also uses things like IP address. It uses things like other digital signal that is not specifically explicitly provided, but can be inferred. And so the combining those two together, we feel builds the best possible way to resolve the most accurate depiction of a consumer or a customer, uh, and then allow that to breathe and allow that to essentially maintain its accuracy uh, over time, but also increase scale, right? Brands want to target more people uh, the more people, the better, as long as it's relevant and long as those people are in the, in the right audience bucket. And this kind of allows them to do that. And a lot of other individual organizations um, have either picked a lane, right? You have uh, people who specifically focus on probabilistic, which is like device graphs, right? The old tap ads and crosswatches, right. all those. And then you have people just only focus on deterministic. Um, and we feel like you can't have the, you can't, you, ha- you can have your cake and eat it too. And you need to use both. Uh, and that's kind of how we differentiate in market. And we've been doing that since day one. Like our data set is based in the offline world, right? We don't have uh, a purely d- digital identity graph that we're using to help our clients repair and enrich their data. 
So we know the value of offline data, but we also know that, you know, how, you know, finicky the digital signal can be as it comes in across the various right. ways in which it does. And so, um, using both, I think is extremely important, um, to do proper identity or entity resolution. So for the user or um, for, for the listener, and probably the the spectrum of sort of knowledge and and proficiency and and usage of platforms like this, whether they're whether they're on the um, kind of the sales side or whether they're a practitioner, or strategist, or folks in the middle. It sounds like from your vantage point, the sunset of the cookie, which everyone in the industry knew would come eventually, right? Yeah. It's it's kind of a blunt instrument and 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 everything, and then Apple's move, and then sort of these these bundling and retrenchment mm-hmm. of the big platforms um, really capturing and, and retaining this first party data um, whether it's iOS or Android or, or Chrome or, right. or uh, someone like an Amazon, it that's that shift didn't really obliterate your no. business model. You've always taken kind of that off that, that kind of sage approach of offline online um, stitch these together to get the the view of that household versus um, that individual, is that an yeah. accurate? Kind yeah, of we've been, we, we, we I mean, we're not cookie based. We use cookies, right? Everyone uses cookies. The the, the the majority of let's say the the digital supply chain today. If you're buying an you know the automated way to buy an ad by an advertiser, you know you create an audience of indiv- of individual households. You translate that to most likely some currency that can be then targeted in the open web. That's going to be a cookie. That's still today the bulk of, you know, 40, 60%, depending on where you live, of your internet traffic is going to be run through Chrome. And they still use cookies, right? So cookies are still here. They're going to be here for 2023 right. or longer. Um, and so uh, that's still a valuable currency to use uh, when, when performing digital advertising. But again, we don't work just in the digital world. It's an omni-channel view of the customer and consumer. And so for us, we always know that we still have to deliver an email. We have to deliver a, a direct mail message. We have to deliver something to the call center. Uh, we have to deliver something to a mobile phone that doesn't use cookies for the most part, right? Um, and, and even out of home or connected TV, which aren't really impacted at all today by this cookie deprecation. And so people, I think, forget about exactly advertising yeah. and where you see ads. I think people are mostly focused on like the, the banner, uh, rich media units that I think aren't not as valuable anymore, in my personal opinion, in terms of, of advertising signal and driving conversions. It's one of the many tools in the toolbox that brands and advertisers need to use. And so for us, we knew the cookie was going away. Um, we we're preparing for it, you know, in terms of, you know, providing different mechanisms for our clients to use different currency that's email based currency or it's contextual based currency. Um, or it's a cohort, which means it's like a grouping of, of individuals that can't be identified at all um, in various ways. And really taking the lead from many of the walled gardens, right? That, that's the goal for us is to stitch the experiences across these multiple organizations where consumers are spending the bulk of their time, whether it's a retail walled garden or a social walled garden or a content or entertainment walled garden. And they are extremely protective of their data. They're building their walls even higher. Yeah. And they have their own mechanisms for identifying their individuals because they have the logged in consented permission of those of people, right? And for an average brand, they want access to all of those different touch places or touch points where consumers are spending their time. And so you have to figure out a way as as a vendor like Newstar to to provide those bridges across all those major players. Uh, And there's, you know, every player has a different uh, recipe or a different requirement for how you do that. Some is cookie based, some is, you know, PII or personal identifiable information based. Some of it is privacy protected based. And I think, you know, it's changing all the time. 
Um, but the deprecation of a cookie is the good thing. It is the red herring, I think, for the overarching um, focus on privacy and which is more important. And also people need to understand like Apple is doing a great job, you know, not or essentially forcing the, the hand of consumers to wet to opt in to advertising. And we've seen like, what, like 18%, 14%. I forget what the number is today um, that we've seen in the United States, yeah. people actually opting into advertising. That's more of a threat today than the cookie cookie still here, right? For 60% of the browsers, but mobile devices, right. we saw what happened with Snapchat. We saw what happened with Facebook um, in terms of their stock uh, and their ability to, actually generate revenue from the from the from the, the decline of the made right the mobile ad id that's more important for us to focus on than the cookie right now what's right in front of us but overall overall i think the focus on privacy needs to be first and foremost and you figuring out how to not rely on these these identifiers that consumers and customers normally don't have control over is probably for the best no that's a great that's a great vantage point i appreciate the perspective and i think you know ultimately it'll tie to better better experiences, which has been more or less the promise initially of the it really of the, was, of right? the, of yeah. the web though. I, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, we're still sort of navigating pop-ups and, uh, that's crazy. And, uh, yeah. Opt-ins and so forth. But so let's pivot a little bit and talk through, we've, we've talked about the technology and we've framed that up and it sounds like you've got some great strategic underpinnings and using kind of that hybrid kind of probabilistic mm-hmm. versus deterministic and extremely complex modeling to tools and platforms to enable this technology. But through that, you, you know, this isn't a type of technology that it, I think an average marketer just sort of um, logs in, bites into and, and picks off the shelf. Right. You ultimately need people yes. um, with, with profound expertise and, and, probably strategic acumen as well as um, technological acumen, certainly um, mathematical acumen. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what is the service component and your team of, of strategists, implementation, um, service level folks at, at, right. at your uh, your product look like? Yeah. And just to, to bridge the gap, obviously the combination of people and technology is extremely important to get, let's say the privacy thing right. And I think that's where the departure was is that everyone focused on technology and automation. Mm-hmm. The human factor was not as included. And I think that would have caught a lot of this creepiness, a lot of this uh, misuse yeah. of data, right? So transitioning into where we are today, you know, we still want to continue the use of automation to continue the use of these large data sets, right? Smart data sets that you can um, analyze and you can extract value from. And for us, there's two different value points. There's either using it for creating personalized or relevant experiences or for measurement, right? Analytics. How did I, how well did I do? And you, you, you have to essentially amass this large amount of data. We're stitching that together using that hybrid approach. Like I talked about before and yeah, there are, you know, SaaS based tools you log in and there are, you know, WYSIWYG, you know, things that can make it easier for you to drop and, you know, play and upload things and generate audiences and measure. But the bulk of our, our client base is really focused on getting access to the raw assets. Let me analyze mm-hmm. the data myself. Let me get it into my platform, my data science environment and let my data science teams and analysts really comb through the data to create a really a custom approach. To advertising. And that's really what we've seen as a differentiator for many in the space is that they want to be able to create their own models. They want to be able to create their own taxonomies. They want to really have control over the, over how fast, how slow, or how, you know, how detailed 
um, their measurement or their targeting models are. And that requires a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of smart people that went to mm. a lot of school that know a lot of math yeah. that I don't know anything about to comb through the data and actually perform those models, right? People who, who can use SQL, people who can use all these different types uh, of coding, uh, you know, languages. Um, and it's really just parsing through data, right? That's really what they're doing. That's the first thing they have to do. Get access to the data in a centralized environment. Um, cloud infrastructure is making that easier to do now, but it's still difficult for many organizations to build a really uh, robust and really um, uh, bespoke data lake, right, for themselves. That requires mm-hmm. a lot of managed yeah. services uh, to lean on, right? Whether it's another organization like a customer data platform or identity resolution partner that's housing the data for you, putting the labels on the data, making sure the data is accurate, making sure the data is complete. That requires a lot of hands on keyboard to do that, right? Whether it's inside the walls of a vendor like Newstar or at the brand or even the agency, right? A lot of agencies have increased right. their uh, spend on talent uh, to support many brands who do not have their own in-house analysts or data science teams. And then there's the analysis of the actual data. Once it's in the data lake, how do I comb through it? How do I you know, use SQL and other uh, ways to, to parse through it and, and extract some sort of value, right? Build a model that's going to allow me to do multi-touch attribution or build a model that's going to build uh, a dynamic audience that I can update every week or every day based on some level of a trigger that I see across these audiences, right? There's various ways in which you can pull and extract value, but it requires people to dig through the data. And at Newstar, we've realized that 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 is potentially a gap or is a gap for many organizations that have not invested historically in their analytics organizations or in their Mm -hmm. data science teams. And even if they do, they don't usually don't have enough. They usually don't have enough people to actually understand or or actually go into the mountains of data um, that their consumers or customers are generating. Right. And I think that's really important that um, any brand, um, any organized marketing enterprise their investment in analytics and data science is a differentiating factor. Um, whether it's the signing up for their agency to take part in that, whether they're signing up a consultant agency, which we've seen the Accenture's, the Deloitte's, McKinsey's have jumped sure. into that pool yeah. as well, right? Um, or relying yeah. on a new star in our own services to provide that value. But we've seen a huge lift in the amount of, of spend that these brands or organizations are, are putting into people. People at the organization who sit there and look at the data. They are not just looking and coding through the data and performing math. They're actually strategically analyzing, understanding how to extract um, dynamic value from that. It's not easy because this, this is something we've never had to do before. Um, so the, the, the job role for this is not just a computer science uh, background. You have to also have the background in marketing. You also have to have the background mm-hmm. in a lot of times in, uh, you know, in psychology. And uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting, um, overlaps between a, a data science for just the general kind of world versus a data science to, to really kind of comb through the data from an advertising or marketing perspective. That's, that's really interesting. It's almost like you need kind of a, a human dimension to apply yep. to that. And I think of an interesting analogy. I was having a conversation with a, um, you know, a, a, one of our large advertising agency um, clients and they were, you know, we were talking about, of course, you know, the, 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 the ongoing challenge to, to attract and retain mm-hmm. talent, but matching talent dimensions to the brand's challenges. Yeah. And an example might be that an exceptionally talented whiz bang kind of director of planning and consumer insight is working on launching a new 
infant you know diaper mm. with a Procter and Gamble brand, but has never had kids. You know, maybe is sure. early to mid twenties, and but lacks sort of that that dimension, and I think is a little bit of a function of the of the um, of the industry a bit. But the talent you're describing is different than simply that you know early career stage person who's analyzing Google mm-hmm. analytics and click through rates and impressions. It's a bit of you, you, data science, decision science, someone who kind of understands propensity modeling and that yep. type of thing has to understand computer science because then you have to generate different types of analyses to parse yep. through it. How do you find those folks? Where do they, where do, I mean, is there a, I guess, how do you maybe sort that type of talent, understand who has that, ability to apply human dimension and then career path. You know, it's, it's the hardest it's ever been right now. There is a huge gap. Mm -hmm. Obviously we all know in in any job, right? The entire world is, you know, job shortage over the past 18 months. Right. And where we now are seeing this um, very, very uh, clearly in terms of trying to hire engineers, but also trying to hire data scientists um, for our own team. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's not an easy kind of process where we're still, we're even hiring people right out of college. Um, and the competitive set of the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks that are also competing for the same smart, uh, fresh individuals is, is overwhelming. Right. And I think that's where we're at today. That's also coming back to the, the concept before, like these individuals are also people, right? They obviously, they, they have consciousness, yeah. uh, they have consciousness, and a lot of them are, you know, focusing on where they want to land in the tech world based on, back to what we talked about earlier, where those organizations um, have been, how they have been perceived in the, in the market, right? And that, that's a huge factor as well, where it comes back to trust an organization, even not just from consumer and, and revenue standpoint, but from your own staffing. Um, you have to be very cognizant about how your organization is seen. Um, by by that new generation of, of data scientists or, or analysts or, or you know uh, or engineers, um, but it's been difficult. It's been difficult to find to find the, the the staffing at breadth, right? And that's why we've seen a lot of our brands look to an agency or look to a consulting organization or, or you know or someone of the like um, for the help in the short term, right? And I think that's something where we we've seen a lift, and they've also um, part, been participating in how you select a vendor like a new star, how you select another vendor who's providing um, data science enabled services. They have a hand in that process, and so now we're obviously having to uh, work with those consulting organizations, the agencies, and the brand um, to make sure we're meeting all of the relevant criteria because we have to essentially focus on where the data science resources are because that's really who our target market is at new start at the end of the day where who has the data science resources yeah. uh, at scale because we're actually supporting them at the end of the day but who owns the use cases it's going to be the brand i think and the crosswalks like you said earlier like how do you you know it's the, it's the art and science combination um knowing how to apply computer science and data science to an actual use case um, that's in the advertising and marketing world is not an easy thing to do because a lot of times it relies on on marrying the art and science together. Uh, and that is a unique set that it's going to come with time. I don't think anyone right out of a college, mm-hmm. maybe they are, I have no idea, is, 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 is you know, able to do that um, extremely well. I hope they can. Um, but I think you know, seasoned uh, veterans of the marketing advertising world, um, they are starting to see how, how that's going to change. That makes sense. 
Have you seen any shift in maybe the, you know, you think of the the advertising and the marketing ecosystem. It's very, very vast, yeah. right? You've got your um, internal marketers and practitioners. You have the folks on the creative side going through, going to the different ad schools, you know, Miami yep. ad school and so forth. You've got everything in between marketing, communications, tracks, and university. Are you seeing from your vantage point where you sit to your point, servicing these big decision science and data science practices within large brands, as well as your own probably talent acquisition to to get those folks to bridge the gap. Are you seeing the emergence of, you know, career tracks or um, types of um, curricula, you know, coming out of university where, you know, new graduates are saying, you know, this is an area where I really want to focus. And of course, coming out, there's, you know, lack of experience, but at least they have some some potency that can be deployed initially. And it's tangentially really again, I don't, my specific organization doesn't hire net new people out of, out of college directly. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of my secondary colleagues do who are hiring the engineers and the data science people. My focus for my, I'm hiring right now, right? So, you know, hiring product marketers, hiring people in the marketing organization. Um, I like to have the, have, have them have experience in the field, whether it's the, 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 the tried and true practices of product marketing or the industry itself. Um, a lot of times you can't find both, which is difficult, right? Someone who has the tried and true mm-hmm. experience of product marketing as an example, but also is from the industry itself that they're going to be working in. Um, so you kind of have to take one or the other uh, if you can get it. Um, but I have seen curriculum, even my, even my own school, you know, I went to school for music business, right? I didn't school for, for advertising or marketing. I took those classes and those courses, but looking back at, at Drexel, they have a ton of new um, kind of, sub majors and bifurcated kind of pathways that really focus on the digital advertising world. But I bet you those, you know, entering college now, I feel like they're still probably not moving fast enough with that curriculum um, to, right. to catch up with where we are. Right. Again, they should be focusing on privacy right now. Right. A lot of those courses, if you're in marketing, advertising or technology or data science or law, like privacy is going to be a huge factor that they should be, Really making sure that they get they get they get access to that education and learning because I didn't get that when I was younger. Right? I took you know law classes, but that's part of my you know, my my business minor. But like I think that's a huge thing as well. Uh, and philosophy, right? I think the concept of of of, of individual based science, the, the philosophy and, and psychology of of individuals, that's a huge factor. I think we need to start adding to the curriculums as well. But I don't have firsthand knowledge in terms of what's happening at scale. To be honest with you. Right. No, that, that, that makes sense. And it's, it's good to hear that there's at least tangentially, you know, some of the, I guess, mm-hmm. tender shoots of that decision science, marketing science, um, the dimensions being, being added to some curricula um, from a pure sort of raw number perspective, you note that everyone's yeah. understaffed, everyone's kind of behind in, in terms of filling roles there for the folks that are extremely talented, there's there's migration. There's lots of different options. They can, um, you know, agency clients have struggled to match, for instance, maybe the at least perception of mm-hmm. work life balance or compensation of a of a big platform. And then conversely, some folks go to an Apple and they, you know, this really isn't for me. I I preferred more the um, the consulting side of of things. Um, I read you know some tweets from some ad tech investors. I think. Um, Eric Franchi posted one noting around 3,000 openings in 
um, he was looking, I think, at like some supply sure. side stuff, you know, the trade desk and and so forth, and the buy side. But from your vantage point, um, and you don't have to, you know, divulge any kind of like proprietary numbers. But are you thirty percent understaffed, forty percent, twenty percent, or or is it more? Um, you're promoting from within and kind of, kind of, kind of backfilling folks who are kind of ascended in their career. What kind of changes have you made in your own hiring and retention practices to to adopt to the the emerging? You know, they say the new normal, but it's it's kind of like yeah. coalescing around the normal of this is how. Sure, I, I don't know specific while, percentages right? of my company team. Is like honestly, it's it's not not that it's above my pay grade, but it's just not not a key focus of mine to be honest. Uh, and as we go through, obviously, an acquisition uh, that that's all in flux as well and. Um, but yeah, in terms sure. of our practices, obviously, you know, compensation is getting more competitive, right? Um, making sure the bonus structure is more competitive, making sure, um, you know, that, mm-hmm. that we are being purchased by a, a public company, making sure if there is any sort of incentives from an equity standpoint that that's there as well, uh, without talking specifics. Um, but yeah, money's gotten higher, right? You have to pay people more money. Obviously, you have to compete with inflation, but you have to go above and beyond that. Like I said, you're competing with the other major um, tech providers that are out there. Uh, but also making sure that you're flexible, your work from home concepts, right? Your work from home uh, policies. You know, mm-hmm. I, my uh, requirement was that as long as you're close to a major airport, that's all, that's all that matters, right? If you got to hop yeah. on a plane, you got to hop on a train, like you can do that, right? As long as you're not, you know, in a very, very rural area where you got to drive four or five hours to get to a particular place. It's more so like inconvenience. I don't want to inconvenience that individual, right? If you're more than welcome to do Absolutely. that, fine. Yeah. But it's just, you know, most of the people that are looking for are major cities, um, close to an airport, but really can be anywhere, um, which I think has been a new factor uh, for us. Like starting in the metropolitan New York area, it'd be great to have someone there, right? Because I can see them as much as I need to see them. But when we started to look at the landscape, it was being more difficult to find people in those particular areas. One, because maybe they moved, like you said, uh, earlier before we started the, to, to hit record, like a lot of people moving out of New York into New Jersey, uh, making it difficult for me to buy a home in New Jersey, <laughs> but um, they just not may not be there yeah, anymore. Yeah. And that's happening all t- to all major cities, or at least it had over the past 18 months. And so being flexible about where they live is extremely important and being flexible about um, payment and making sure you're competitive, uh, but also being ex- more transparent than I think we ever were about career pathing, right? Making sure that they have an opportunity to have a, a, mm-hmm. a clear line of sight through the career path. Um, that's really what we've been doing. Right. And also opening up to people outside of the actual role. So looking at people who are in tangential roles um, for my own organization, looking at product marketing, but also looking at people in product, looking at people in customer success, people with client experience. Right. Um, that's, that's important for us to right. look at the, the larger kind of landscape because you don't have a huge pool to dig from, right. To pull from. Um, and that's been helpful. I think it's been interesting to hear people's who want to change their career paths and uh, have an interest in, you know, new and exciting ways to, to, to utilize their skills and expertise. Um, and we've also seen a lot of, yeah, internal promotions, internal, um, kind of, uh, uh, rallying of, of the troops, so to speak, uh, getting them to be more emboldened, getting them to, to be people managers. Uh, that's a huge thing as well It's like making sure you invest in the talent that you have. Um, because you don't want uh, to to have any sort of um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? You don't want any sort of uh, uh, migration, yeah. Migration or yeah, churn. Yeah, we'll call that. There we go. Yeah. Or just uh, resignation. Yeah, the great yeah, anyway. churn. There you go. That's a great you know the the notion of um, being near the major airport hub as yeah. as being more convenient to those folks, right? Because 
you know, you can move to, and you know, no, no, um, sort of no offense to someone who moves to like a beautiful bucolic area in, in, in Appalachia, sure. but that um, having to be on a plane to client site, for instance, several times a month, and then navigating uh, multiple connections of air travel. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, Internet service though, too, right? That's a huge thing too. You yeah. got to be near a good hub. Like a lot of, Absolutely. you see like the, the, the different maps of different types of internet service providers across the United States. Like if you're in an area where it's a dead zone and somewhere in Kansas, like it's going to be difficult. But I mean, I speak from being in the internet and advertising and technology world. Like obviously your internet connection is your lifeblood of to do work. Right. Um, but that, that's another factor. You have to be, you have no. to have signal. No, absolutely. But also climate change has been a big factor as well. I have some people who live in like, in, in like parts of Florida, um, that have been impacted by the hurricanes and flooding. And like, that's a huge, that's a yeah, huge the, fre- well. the frequency, that, yeah, the frequency of outages. Yeah. You know, not that I'm not going to hire someone who's in an area that's affected by wildfires or by flooding. Cause you know, I think you're, you're going to be not hiring a lot of people in very uh, important areas, you know, as, as this gets crazier, but that's a factor that, that you have to consider sometimes is like, uh, you know, how often are they going to be having an outage or how often do they have to move? Because their house is underwater, right? That's like something I never had to think about before. Uh, or people migrating because of those those things are happening. Like you know, after they've been hired, they're actually moving to a different state or a different location. Um, you know, you have to just be cognizant of where your staff is at any given point because of how often people have been you know changing or been nomadic over the past uh, year and a half. No, it's a it's a that's a great point. I think one of the one of the benefits I've seen in my role and the ability to talk to you know, lots of talent leaders in, in services, consulting, marketing services, the agency environment is this move away from hyper-specialization. You brought up a good point, you know, considering folks who might not have been a hundred percent match, maybe they're 50% match for the role, but the willingness mm-hmm. to learn, pivot their career path yep. and sort of breaking that stranglehold, I think of that really hyper specialization that that was been has been in place for for many years and i think marketing science um you know someone who's really great at discerning data but maybe hadn't been exposed to one of the platforms you know whether it's facebook blueprint or google 360 or something like that and it's just but but they're a great data scientist you know that like we're, we're taking a look at those types of folks or folks who are moving from data into product marketing and services yep. and they have the rich context to talk um, to clients about this, having been practitioners has been a good move. Um, this is, listen, this has been a really great ranging conversation. I'd love you to give sort of a, a closing remark around that topic of probably audience targeting and privacy, but then talk to us a little bit about your podcast. You've got the No Hype at New Star and mm-hmm. you're on mute. Yeah. So, I mean, the final you know, thoughts on, on the whole concept of audience targeting and privacy, I mean, it's 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 kind of common sense, right? You you everyone is a consumer. Treat others as you would like to be treated, right? I mm-hmm. guess you get this the best way the golden rules that we're really think about it. And you know, the more loyal you are, the more you know transparent you are, the more respectful you are, the more likely you're going to have repeat customers. The more likely your customers are going to feel comfortable giving you more information about themselves, um, as long as you treat that information with the highest regard and highest security, right? And secondarily, invest in privacy and invest in the ability to use different privacy preserving methodologies or techniques. There's a lot on the, on the horizon that are coming out right now. A lot of organizations that are shifting their focus to privacy and security. Try them out, test, test and learn. That's the only thing I can recommend right now. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, green pastures in terms of privacy protections as it relates to marketing and advertising. And I think there's um, a huge investment need 
uh, and responsibility for many of these organizations to focus on um, as they continue to do their jobs. And look, I, I want to keep the internet as free as possible. I don't want to increase the amount of paywalls that are being used to, to, you know, to restrict the use or access to content. But that's kind of where we're headed if we don't figure out a way to, to build an ecosystem um, uh, of trust and transparency that we can all rely on to browse the internet, buy our, our, our significant others, you know, items that they need or they want for, for Christmas without being hit over the head with, with advertisements yeah. or the threat of data leakage. Um, so that would be my recommendation is trust, transparency, and investment in privacy preserving techniques is extremely important. And yeah, in terms of the two podcasts, so No Hype uh, is, is a new star podcast. Uh, my, my colleague, Allison Dietz, and I uh, really just interview the smartest people that we know in terms of the, the uh, advertising and technology ecosystem. Um, we started it this year, and it's been a really great discussion uh, in terms of breaking down, uh, you know, the, the the concept of hype, all this st- stuff. Because we're in marketing, we hear the bullshit stuff all the time, sure. and we want to make sure. Let's just cut to the, the chase and let's talk about what we think is really relevant and and really important um, for the ecosystem. And then you're on mute uh, is really kind of my own pet project with, with Steve Silver as my co-host and I talking about really the intersection of the internet and technology and advertising. And what it means to the average consumer, the average person. So it's a good podcast for people in the know and technology, uh, as well as your mom, right? <laughs> That's so awesome. we kind of we try to cover the the breadth of of and try to break it down and be be simplistic about it as well. I, I love the title of "You're on Mute." When you say that, I've got that now Pav- Pavlovian response, right? I like reach for my mouse, like I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was giving a webinar I don't know, a week or two ago, and you know started enthusiastically doing my intro at 30, 30 seconds in and everybody's kind of waving their hands. And I, and uh, so of course I was on mute and I logged in with a good dad joke. I'm like, sorry, everybody. I'm really new to zoom. You know? <laughs> exactly. but, yeah. Yeah. But that's great. That's kind of how it started. We started yeah. during the beginning of the pandemic and we were all just kind of already burnt out from zoom right. and WebEx and all these others. And we, that was just a, you know, something that, that we hear all the time, people yelling at each other, even yeah. before the pandemic started, that's no, you know, people in this world, but it's great. Uh, it's great marketing and, and bravo for, uh, for coining that. Um, listen, this has been great. Thanks so much for the conversation. I think the listeners and our, our, our growing listener base will really enjoy this. A lot of, a lot of dimension, very wide ranging and really appreciate the investment of time. And I encourage listeners to check out the, um, the podcast Links are um, www.nohype.newstar, and Newstar is N-E-U-S-T-A-R, and youreamute.com. And they sound uh, great and appreciate your uh, little cross-pollination there. And as always, reach out to us here at the Professional Services Pursuit with any questions, comments, topics you'd like to address or have us address, hear more about it at podcast at mavenlink.com. We'd love to hear from listeners. We've been getting some, some feedback and, um, you know, have this ability to, uh, to attract kind of wide ranging guests from all over the ecosystem. So appreciate everyone listening. Thanks again to Devin and we'll wrap for this episode. Right, thanks, Brett. Thanks to Mavenlink for having me on. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get your podcast on any podcast app. And to learn more about the transformative power of Mavenlink, go to mavenlink.com. Thank you for listening.